Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Food Flow, the podcast dedicated to the in-depth exploration of the beautiful world of food. My name is Ivermar Jarrison from thefoodflow.com, and I am joined here today by the beer brewing guru himself, Michael Tonsmeyer, the creator and sole influencer behind madfermentationist.com. And today's topic is beer brewing. I'm excited to have you on the show. Michael, good to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here and to talk to you about uh, my favorite hobby, uh, brewing beer at home. (laughs) And it's a good topic because beer is a topic that everyone's fascinated in. But today we're going to be getting into the beautiful art of home brewing, which is basically the process of you turning your garage into a small beer producing facility. So before we kind of get into that, though, Michael, why don't you give us a brief kind of history? I usually ask for people's food story, but in this case, I think beer story is more fitting. So why don't you give us sure. a little background? How did you get to here? Um, no, so I've been brewing beer for about 10 years. A good friend of mine uh, from third grade, he actually just got married uh, last weekend up in Rhode Island. Uh, when we were both off uh, between our junior and senior years from college, he had just found this website called Beer Advocate. And he was obsessed with finding weird, interesting, fun new beers. And at that point in my life, I really didn't love beer. I associated it solely with the sort of super overcarbonated beer pong, college party, <laughs> you know, beast or natty or what, you know, these sorts of things. And I, I just, I didn't like it that much. And he introduced me to decent beer. And when I got back to college for my senior year, I I started going to a place called D's Six Packs and Dogs in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which did make your own six packs. And I just sort of tried to find the best, you know, IPA and the best pale ale and the best, uh, you know, Imperial Stout and whatever, and and quickly got into it and then quickly found homebrewing my final semester. In college, I took a a student-led class called Beer Brewing and Appreciation. And for the midterm, we brewed a brown ale. And for the final, uh, we brewed a sort of brewer's choice. And my friend Nicole and I brewed a cream ale with vanilla, not realizing Ooh. that cream ale is really sort of a, an ale version of Budweiser. And it's not creamy at all. And the vanilla really was not a great thing. <laughs> um, and from there, I, I started homebrewing again with my friend Jason and uh, moved down to D.C. and didn't have an outlet for beer. And so started a blog. Again, like now, like nine and a half, yeah, almost 10 years ago. Um, and slowly have, I wrote a book, uh, American Sour Beers, and I write for Brew Your Own Magazine, and I, I consult for breweries, including Modern Times out in California and Commonwealth down in Virginia Beach and a whole, a whole mess of other places. Um, I get to travel for beer and drink beer and all the sort of fun, you know, dream job kind of things, except my real daytime job is working for the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, thank you for your tax dollars. <laughs> yeah, so I guess beer is pretty much your life, essentially. <laughs> it, at least my nine nine my five p.m. to nine a.m. job, my not my nine to five yet someday. <laughs> well, and I think it's kind of interesting uh, your story here, and I think a lot of people who get into home brewing or get into craft beer have a similar one. You know, their beer stories kind of start off when they're younger, and it's that you know the stuff that you plugged your nose and tried to choke down at college parties, and you don't really. <laughs> realize the beauty that can really be behind it and by going into craft beer you you know you find other people who can make beer better for you but home brewing is truly like a hands-on embrace because you can create the beer that you love and that's what i think is so beautiful about it so let's kind of just like for someone if you didn't know anything about fermentation or home brewing or the beer process just give it to us like stupid simple what happens to make beer 
Sure. Um, with any alcoholic fermentation, there's sugar. And in the case of beer, that sugar comes from a malted grain, barley most traditionally. If we were talking wine, that sugar would be from grapes. If we were talking mead, it would be from honey. If we were talking sake, it would be from, from uh, rice. In the case of malted barley, though, it's not made out of sugar itself. It's made out of starches. Um, starches are just uh, sugars stuck together, long chains of sugars. And we use the enzymes from the barley plant that would normally use to convert uh, the starches into sugars to grow. We kind of trick them and we steep them in hot water and we cause those enzymes to turn that starch into sugar. We cool it down and we ferment it. Um, the sort of in between there, and that's probably how it was made, you know, originally. Now we'll boil it to kill any microbes that might have been living on this grain. We'll add hops, which add the bitterness and the, you know, citrusy, floral, spicy, earthy uh, aromatics. And then after we cool it, we pitch a pure culture of Saccharomyces cerevisiae, brewer's yeast. It's the same yeast that's used for baking bread. If you, it's the same species as that's used for making bread, but it's uh, been specially selected to perform well to be alcohol tolerant, to produce uh, flavors that we enjoy. In some cases, for lagers, these are very clean flavors that let the malt and the hops um, shine through. In the cases of, uh, say, a Belgian ale or an English ale, they might have um, a little more character, some spice, some fruitiness. For a Hefeweizen from Germany, it would be banana and clove. And that's really it. That's beer. So basically, so basically, in its in its simple form here, we are taking advantage of yeast, which is a fungi or a bacteria. Is it one of those? Fungi, yeah. Yep. So we're taking advantage of the yeast to convert sugar into alcohol. And like you said, in, in this case, uh, the type of alcohol really just comes down to what sugar you're using. So in the case of beer, like you said, it's grains. But my question is, what about the hops, right? Hops are always in beer, aren't they? Yeah, hops are just a flavoring. Um, hops are, uh, we're really relatively new to the beer scene. Beer is probably 10,000 years old. Hops really uh, grew to prominence about 500 years ago. Um, for a long time, people would use various herbs and, you know, yarrow and uh, wormwood and all sorts of things, often in a blend called the gruet if we're in Europe. Um, and hops really won out for a couple of reasons. Um, and the most important is that they are antimicrobial and particularly um, anti-lactobacillus. And lactobacillus is all over the place. It's what makes yogurt sour. There are some sour beers and what makes some of them sour. And the problem is, if you were a brewer in 1500, you didn't have stainless steel, you didn't have, you didn't even know what yeast was or pure cultures were, and your beer would go sour after a few weeks or a few months if you were lucky. Ah. Um, and adding hops extended the life; it allowed them to make beers that stayed sweeter. Um, the bitterness added a balance against the uh, the, the sharpness. Hops also help, help head retention, and and honestly, with the popularity of IPA these days. People love hops. They're not just in there for the practical considerations. Right, right. That's interesting, though. I guess that's kind of a culinary trend is a lot of things that start off as a, as a utility or almost a necessity, then we kind of start enjoying the flavor and appreciating for different reasons. But that's interesting. So hops early on would have kept out the bacteria that made beer sour. That's obviously a good characteristic of it. Um, interesting, interesting. So uh, there you have it. Basically, the idea of beer in its very beginning is boiled boiled grains to release the sugar. We add yeast, maybe some hops. You end up with beer. Now, the other thing to note here is that the yeast 
in is making alcohol, but it's also making carbon dioxide, as Michael mentioned, so that's where you get the carbonation from. So it sounds pretty simple. Now, if I was to go get it going in my backyard, what's the, uh, give me like a brief rundown, like what are the step-by-step, so I want to start making my own beer. Sure, there are a bunch of different techniques. Most people, and I, I definitely advise it when you start out, skip all of these specific temperatures, skip the enzymes, and just buy some malt extract. Um, and that will provide, it's already been converted from starch into sugar for you. So that's, that's essentially grains, it's grains that have been turned into sugar, is that right? Exactly, and then okay. concentrate down in, into either um, a syrup or a powder. Okay. And you can still take some specialty malt, so they're normally in beer, um, unlike a wine, where it might be only made from Merlot grapes or something like that. Think of this more as a, a blend of things. So you certainly could make a beer just from a base malt, a pale malt, a pilsner malt. But in most cases, if you're making a brown ale, you might add a little uh, a 5% chocolate malt, which has been roasted like coffee beans or oh, something okay. like that. It's gotten dark. Um, you could add a crystal malt, which has been caramelized. It has a, you know, a, a figgy flavor or Ooh. a caramel flavor or a honey flavor. Um, and you still, as a home brewer, you can buy pale malt extract that's just the pale malt and then just steep those specialty malts. Okay. Um, to get and these malts, what do they come? Are they like, is it like a goo kind of? I'm picturing syrup. Oh, no, no, no. So I'm sorry, the, the malt extract definitely is like a goo, but the other ones are just actual grains that are just dark if they've been roasted. Oh, okay. Or, so they've just been, okay. And, um, and then uh, at the homebrew store, or if you order online from the online homebrew store, make sure to check off that you want it um, to be milled. It has to be broken down by a two-roller mill. Um, honestly, for the specialty malts, you could whiz them in your food processor if you want to. You could run them over with a rolling pin. It's a lot easier to have the homebrew store do it for you, though. Okay. Um, and you'd steep those in. And at this point, we're not dealing with enzymes. So 150 degrees Fahrenheit. 160 degrees, 170 degrees, anything in that range um, for about half an hour. Easier to get a little muslin bag, a mesh bag from the homebrew store, put the grains in there before you steep them just so you can pull them out. Okay. The idea is you want to get, it's like making a tea. You want to get the flavors and some of the sugars out of them without leaving the little bits, bits of husk to get cut in, you, uh, cut in your, uh, your teeth when you drink the beer. Oh, okay. Yep, got it. So I got my malty hot water. Okay, now what? Exactly. Now you're adding your malt extract, which is going to give most of the sugar, most of the, uh, the sugar that will be turned into alcohol, and you're boiling it. And you're adding these hops, and most hops that you buy at the homebrew store are just going to be, they're pelletized. They look like little you know, rabbit feed pellets or something okay. like that. It's just the, the hop cones. It's like a flower that's green chopped up and compressed into a little pellet um, for easy storage, compact, you know, uh, freezer space, and boiling it for about an hour. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And that's really, that's that's sort of the, the brew day process. Um, anything that happens before the boil, during the boil, we've got that heat. So you don't have to worry about sanitation, but as soon as you start chilling it down, um, and chilling it down can just be putting the lid on the pot, putting it into a sink with some ice and some water in it, a little salt if you want to speed things up. If, if it's wintertime, sadly, a snowbank isn't really effective. You end up with more of an igloo situation where it's insulating. Um, but you can use snow if it is winter and, and put it into the water, and that will help it cool it down. Um, and okay, from there so – Okay, so it's so it's, so we, we got our big pot. We got water. We got our malt. We heat it up. Now we have sugary, hot liquid. We now want to cool the liquid down. Okay, I'm exactly. following you. Now what? Now what? Now you're going to transfer it into some sort of fermenter. This could be a bucket with a lid. This could be okay. a glass a jug called a carboy. Um, I'm not a big fan of glass, just the risk of it breaking, and Ooh. it's slippery, and it's 
Um, and you're going to have wanted to sanitize that, that whatever you're fermenting in, and you transfer the wort into your fermenter, and you add the yeast. And, and the yeast, there, so what? So what? We got we got like a little a little pouch of yeast. There's all sorts of different styles available. So there are some uh, manufacturers who uh, sell liquid yeast, which is yeast in just sort of uh, it's been refrigerated, but otherwise it's really okay. active and ready to go. The big advantage is that there are hundreds of strains available, and so if you have a particular commercial beer you like, you might be able to find uh, oh. that same yeast strain available. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So you get your yeast, you add that to your your carboy with your malt. And then we let time do its thing, huh? Exactly. And they're, they're also dried yeast, and there's a lot fewer of those. But the great thing about them is they're a lot more shelf-stable. And so that's a great way to go as a new home brewer is um, just get, get a pack of dry yeast, sprinkle it in. They have uh, instructions for rehydrating them, but it's not necessary, particularly on your first batch. Okay. Um, and, yeah, then, then you're just waiting for the yeast. And at this point, temperature is the important thing. And each yeast strain, if you go to the manufacturer's website, will have an ideal temperature range. And you just want to keep it, you know, towards the low end of that range if you can. As yeast ferment, they produce some heat. And so ideally, you'll keep it the low end and the yeast will sort of work up into the middle or the high end. Too high and yeast can start tasting uh, like nail polish remover. They can get really fruity. That's often the problems that new homebrewers run into. Um, and particularly when I started out homebrewing, I just took the summer off. It was too warm in my apartment. It wasn't really? worth brewing. Wow. Okay. Now, now I have refrigerators and refrigerated right, room, right. all sorts of stuff. But when you're starting out, brew with the seasons. If you want to brew in the summer, pick a yeast like a Belgian Saison strain that's going to enjoy 75, 80, 90 degree temperatures. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. And then what, uh, so then how, about how long until I can, I can take my batch to the, to the local tailgate party? <laughs> so at, at this point, it just depends. If, if you pitch the right amount of yeast, you should start seeing activity within about 24 hours. And that activity will last for probably less than a week. Okay. Um, if you uh, you know don't pitch enough yeast, it really it can get to a slow start. It gives an opportunity for unwanted microbes to get in. We're relying on the yeast in addition to the hops to protect the wort. Um, when they start fermenting, they'll lower the pH, they'll um, make alcohol, and they'll make it a really inhospitable place for microbes. And one of the terrific things about brewing beer is that if you pitch enough healthy yeast and it starts fermenting, no matter what else gets in there, you won't get sick. Oh, that's good to know. And that's and that's, that's kind of that's kind of the exciting. I mean, I guess that talks a little bit about the utility of beer prior to like exactly. clean drinking water and stuff. I mean, it was actually a way to you know make water and grains. It was kind of a food and a drink that was safe, I guess. Exactly, and and a way to uh, store the harvest. That you know, if you just had ah. grain around, it could go moldy, it could go off. But if you had a big vat of beer. You know, you could, you can always drink it, even if it tastes a little sour. Interesting. Even if it little... Yep. So I, when they when they say liquid bread, they don't. It wasn't a joke. It was like literally a liquid food staple. <laughs> oh yeah. No, and then bread is fermented. You know, again with the same microbes, and so there really are a lot of similarities there. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it kind of speaks a little credit when you think about the food security aspect. I can't help but think about you know kind of the history of the evolution. You know, you would have had a genetic advantage in a lot of parts of Europe, especially if you were able to metabolize alcohol properly. You know, I mean, the kids who were born without, you know, if you had genes that didn't favor alcohol metabolizing, you know, you wouldn't get as many calories as the other kids. And it's kind of interesting. Maybe we evolved to, uh, you know, get, have some alcohol in our diets. Yeah, and you, you <laughs> might not even have uh, you might not even have enough to drink. If I mean that really for a long time, I mean, the dark ages where, you know, everybody was drinking Weak beer, you know, 2% alcohol beer, but still kids, women, pregnant people, yeah. <laughs> everybody. 
Um, my, my wife is uh, very fond of uh, zombies, and so I, our, our large stock of beer in the basement will always come in handy should there be an apocalypse. There you go. Young. There you go. Or, hey, one more reason yeah. to homebrew. <laughs> <laughs> Survival. I like it. So uh, just to kind of, so wrapping that up, um, you know, you get your yeast pitched. It's sitting there. Depends on the time, but we're talking a few weeks maybe? or, or... Exactly. And okay. so after fermentation's done, you don't want to just stop as soon as you, you know, fermentation ends. The yeast will spend a little bit of time. There's some intermediary products that might taste like butter or green apples. And the yeast will sort of finish those up okay. um, in the end. Nice to finish uh, a little on the warm side, make, you know, sort of encourage that yeast to finish out the meal when they're eating the, the sort of the scraps off the table. Um, and from there, the yeast will start to settle out. It's called flocculation. You'll see them starting to clump together and sink to the bottom. And you'll have a nice uh, layer of yeast at the bottom. But when it's ready to go, let's say, you know, two to three weeks after you brewed, um, you transfer it to what's called a bottling bucket. It's just a plastic bucket with a little spigot on the bottom. You'll stir in some sugar um, that you've dissolved in water. Then you siphon it into bottles. You uh, cap them. There's either you can serve a, it's called a wing capper. It's got two levers that you pull down, or there's a bench capper that sort of comes down and then has one big lever. Um, and that, that fix is the uh, crown cap. Oh, so you get I get a box of empty glass bottles, and I get a, a box of tops and my clamper, and I can bottle my own. Exactly, and and you cool. can either buy those you can buy those bottles empty already, or if you're an industrious person, home brewers are often a little industrious. Just save up your empties, rinse Ooh. them out after you're done drinking them, and then if like a lot of home brewers, that that sounds like way too much effort for you. Um, you can buy old soda kegs, and that's sort of the Cornelius kegs. Corny kegs are very common for home brewers who want to have their beer on tap at their house. Oh, okay. So then from, uh, so once my final step there, I just add it to a keg and then I have it on tap. Exactly. And that's, Easy. that's sort of the, the, the benefit of, you know, you only have to clean one keg, not 50 bottles. You only have to, ah, and okay. you can just pump CO2 in. So there's no worrying about calculating oh. sugar. There's no miscalculation. There's no mistakes. Okay. Um, I can but, see the appeal but, of that, but. But one of the great things about bottling is that you can save that last six pack of that, you know, Russian Imperial Stout for a year, two years. I have, I just had a one of my first homebrews that was ten years old and still tasting pretty good. Wow! Wow! Um, and you're not going to do that with a keg, probably. Well, um, and you can keg, also, you, you know, exactly you can give bottles to friends and stuff. There's that advantage as well. You get a custom label made online. That's always fun. Stuff like that. I like it. Exactly. And, and so I, I've got kegs and bottles. And so, you know, there's no reason you have to be one or the other. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. All right. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, so in its simplest form, we're getting, we're boiling some grain sugar water. We're adding some yeast. We're letting it sit, we're putting it in bottles and we're having fun with our friends. I mean, yeah. it sounds easy. <laughs> it, it is. And, and homebrewing is a great hobby because it can be as intense as you want it to be. It can be this fun thing that you do twice a year with a couple of friends, drink a couple of beers, have some fun, you know, block out, you know, five hours on a Saturday and enjoy yourself, make something, you know, special for, for, you know, your friends. Or it can be this intense hobby where you spend thousands of dollars. I, I've got friends that have designed their own iPhone apps who have built walk-in freezers, who have labs that cost more than my car, um, you know, <laughs> who, who end up starting breweries because, there's no other way that you know they can imagine living their life without brewing beer, you know, five times a week. Wow, um, that's nice it's, though. It's, it's nice every level, every level though. That's good from beginners to making it your life. That's everyone can enjoy it. That's nice. And and just one plug. I mean, obviously this this is enough, hopefully, to get people interested in beer. 
go to your local home brewing store, talk to somebody, go online, go to howtobrew.com. John Palmer has a fantastic free version of his book, or for 12 bucks, you can get the actual version that will go into the nitty gritty without getting too technical. Um, Randy Mosher has a, a fantastic book called Mastering Homebrewing. If you're a little more uh, visual of a learner, um, he's a graphic designer by trade. Um, there are a lot of fantastic resources out there, podcasts, websites, uh, you know, all kinds of things. So just, you know, if you're interested in it, start reading up on it a little bit, but don't get overwhelmed by it. Um, and the best thing you can do is find someone local and help them out. Because there can be so many options that just seeing the way one person does it step by step can make it seem so much easier than reading the five different choices for right. each of the 10 different steps. Yep, that makes perfect sense. And like and like uh, like Michael mentioned there, I mean, it's definitely becoming a growing hobby. And there's, you know, I live in Denver, so it's, I'm going to have a skewed perspective. But, you know, go to, your, lo- go to your local grocery store if you're lucky enough to find one. And someone there is going to be happy and nice and helpful. And they're going to set you up. Everything that Michael has mentioned, uh, the yeast and the malts, I assume all those can be got like at a local brew store, right? Oh, yeah. There or online at 500 different homebrew stores if you don't have a local homebrew shop. Okay, Um, perfect. I think early on it's great to go into somewhere and talk to somebody rather than just clicking online. But now I've, I've gotten lazy and even though I have a store five minutes away, I often order online. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the world we live in, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, that's it. That's what, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's simple. It's beautiful. It's delicious. Obviously uh, Michael gave us a very uh, simple version, but I know at the end of that, I've had friends that in that final step, they add, you know, vanilla or coffee flavoring. I mean, you can make the beer taste like anything, right? Oh, that's and that's the fun thing about this now is now when I go to a brewery, I I don't think about how much do I enjoy this beer. I think is this something I want five gallons of at home? And oh. I've got I've got beers in my basement now with uh, homegrown prickly pears that I found growing wild on my parents' uh, backyard. <laughs> I've got um, I I just kicked a keg that had uh, 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 what maple and smoked malts and bourbon infused into it. I mean, there's. Just so many different things you can do, but when you're starting out, focus on those basic flavors. You know, don't don't start with the uh, chili chocolate vanilla right. imperial out. Start with a pale ale, something that will be ready pretty quickly that you can learn the process. And then once you get going, hey, take a gallon off of that five gallon batch, and that's the one that you can add cherries to, or that's the one that you can add ginger and molasses to, or whatever it is. And learn, but also save some of that beer plain to see how it was, you know, how the base beer was. How did it um, stack sense. up without all the the ingredients added? That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, and that's uh, and once you get into that experimenting stage, you know, uh, you know, for you that watch my videos and stuff, you know that uh, I love the the creative outlet that food can be. You know, it's I mean, flavor is something that is very unique. It's very personalized. It's based on genetics and past experiences and personal perceptions. So no ones are the same. So when you drink someone else's food, you eat someone else's food or drink someone else's beer, sorry, you know, it's it's been created to appeal to a large amount of people. But when you get hands-on with your own food and your own beer, in this case, you can really create what you like, you know, specific flavors that really appeal to you. And that's what I love so much about it. You know, I, I think it's a really exciting idea. And, and one of the great things about beer is you can really take some of those culinary techniques and you can make tinctures and you can make teas and then you can not guess at how much uh, you want to add to something, but, you know, just make, you know, soak some... Ruibos in some hot water and then dose it into the beer after fermentation and, and taste. Is this enough? Is this even a good idea? 
before you commit to adding, you know, whatever it is to the full batch. Yep, yep. Experimenting, experimenting. I like it. Oh, like exactly, it. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think uh, I think you got me convinced here. Uh, I just I just moved out to Denver, you know, like I said. So I'm just gonna get down to my local homebrew store. You got me, you got me thirsty. You got me excited. I hope you did the same for you guys once again. Um, Michael Tonsmeyer. Uh, Michael, what's uh, your website? Madfermentationist.com. Your book's available there. It is. It's also available on Amazon and everywhere else. It's it's actually the madfermentationist.com, but I also own madfermentationist.com, so that works too. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. Sorry <laughs> about that. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay, uh, Michael, I mean, I think that kind of wraps things up. It was great having you on the show. I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It was a lot of fun. Once again, guys, that was Michael Tonsmeyer from themadfermentationist.com. Go over to his website. He's got tons of resources, lots of good stuff going on. Start brewing your own beer. It'll be awesome. I can almost promise. Again, my name is Ivermar Jarrison from thefoodflow.com. If you guys want to check out some of my other projects, head over there. i got the apparel line up, videos and articles and all that good stuff. Thanks for stopping by. See you guys next time. Hey.